I want to start with a question. Who is planning, who has planned for the summer a, a vacation, traveling somewhere? Okay, good number of you. Um, I was thinking about vacations in my mind because where we came from, school actually ended by Memorial Day. Like, for me, this is the beginning of summer, the beginning of the, the, the vacation mindset. So we're going to start a new sermon series next week on Philippians, but today I want to think about how, how we might use our, our summer time, our summer vacation break. And there's different kinds of vacations. The, the classic vacation, right? You go to the beach for a week. Rest and relaxation, fun and sun. Right? So there's those kind of vacations. But there are other kinds too. So sometimes vacation is really about getting, spending time with family. It's, it's sometimes it's simply going to a family member's house and being with them. I know my wife and I had talked about she growing up, my family would go to the beach, says her family, their only vacations were going to spend with extended family members. And that was in her mind vacation. And of course, sometimes it's a combo, right? You get a bit of both. But there's a third kind of vacation that I want to suggest is out there. And that is to go and see a place or something worth seeing. So I heard some people recently went to uh, this country, uh, island country, Ireland, and uh, showed a lot of pictures. Like, there, I, I hadn't heard yet, but I'm sure there's some amazing things to see that, to travel across there. Last summer, I, I was determined that before my kids, you know, fled the house, they're getting older, that we, they would have a chance to see the Rocky Mountains and the Grand Canyon. So we, we went on a long trip. And I, it, it's, the idea of this is it's, it's almost like a pilgrimage, right? You want to go someplace to see something worth seeing. This summer, here's the challenge. I want you to set your hearts on pilgrimage. And by that, I mean, I want you to, to set your heart to seek a closer relationship with the Lord. As you think about your summer, and what you're going to do for these next three months, whether you work mostly working, whether you spend the whole time at the lake, seek after the Lord in a way that you would grow closer to him, that you would see him in, in a closer way. And I think that is what Psalm 84 is calling us towards. To, to understand Psalm 84, you've got to look at verse 5. This is, this is kind of the key. And as I looked at this, I saw that this verse was translated different ways, which means there's something going on, something to understand in it. So the ESV, the one we read, it, it goes, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Okay? The reason it stuck out to me is because I had kind of even, I'd studied this long before in the NIV. And in that one, it says, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Right? How is that the same verse? There's, there's such different translations. So what I did, uh, there's a, a, what's called the Septuagint version, which is the Greek Bible that was there in the time of Jesus. So I looked that up, and, and it, if, if you translate that from the Greek version, it, it goes like this. In his heart, he is purposed to ascend. 
Or you could say, go up. So here's, here's how to understand what's going on. If you were, because those all sound very different, if you were coming to Jerusalem, which is also known as Mount Zion, because it sits on Mount Zion, if you were going to worship at the temple, you would be traveling. Maybe you'd be coming on one of the Passover, or one of the festivals, Passover feast or something, and you would travel from other parts of Israel. As you got near, the roads would ascend and go up, because Jerusalem is set up on a, a hill. So you would be you'd notice the rise in elevation. It would be a highway, a high road up to Zion. And so if you set your heart to decide, hey, we're going to go worship this break, this time at Jerusalem, you know, maybe you were with your kids and said, you know, if you were live far away, you might say, well, hey, this, this festival, we're actually going to go to Jerusalem. You've set your heart, you've set your mind to go on pilgrimage to the great city, to the temple of God, then you would take this, this road up. You would set your heart on ascending up to the thing of God. It would be work. It would be travel. It would be, I mean, even the walk up there, because you're going uphill, it would it, 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 be a challenge. And the contention is, is it worth it? When we took that trip last summer, one of the places we went was the Bear Lake area in the Rocky Mountains. And I just have a little picture. This is us, my little family. And there, there's these different lakes. They're up, they're, they're just amazing. So Bear Lake, I, the, the one highest up is Emerald Lake. I didn't have a good picture of it, so I just threw this one on. But it's a lot of work to go up. You're, you're hiking up the whole way. I remember kind of, you know, some complaints being aired. But when we got to Emerald Lake, and I did most of the complaining. Uh, but when we got there, the complaints stopped. It was so amazingly beautiful. This was worth the effort. That's what Psalm 84 is conveying. It may be hard work to come to the temple of the Lord, to come and seek Him, but it, based on what you will see, it is worth the event. It's worth the effort to seek the Lord in his courts. So let's go back to the beginning. It starts off, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. How lovely is the place where God is dwelling. And, and you might think, well, what's this talking about? It, it's talking about the temple in Jerusalem. In the Old Testament Israel, there was only one place to worship. And that was at the temple. God's presence dwelt upon this temple. And it, it could, be, could be thought that, well, maybe it's the tabernacle. So before there was the temple, there was a temple tent called the tabernacle. And I believe it's probably almost certainly referring to the temple itself. So the temple was built by Solomon, one of the early kings, and because it's talking about Zion and Jerusalem and, and also later refers to the king in a way, I'm, I'm certain it's probably the temple. And, and if so, Solomon's temple was magnificent in its glory and in, in, in how it looks. I have a little representation up there. But I don't think this is primarily talking about the magnificence of the building. It's not magnificent. It's not lovely because of the, the architecture. 
It's lovely because of the God who dwells within it. Right? What does he say? My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The, the psalmist is like, I want to be where God is at. I, I can't, it's, it's his great desire. He wants to be with God. He talks about the living God. This, the God that dwells in this temple is not just a statue like, like the other ancient temples. You know, they had their statues of, of their gods. No, our God is alive. Our God is real. Our God is a, a, the, is a presence that, that rests upon this place in the Holy of Holies is dwelling the very presence of God. And, and he's, he's, it also says the Lord of hosts, or it's also translated the Lord Almighty. He is the one who made the entire universe. I can't wait to get to where he's at. This is a God we can draw, know and draw near to. And he's talking about a hunger and thirst for being with God. Does that resonate at all with your soul this morning? Is there a hunger and thirst to be with God? Or do you just want to be blessed by God? Do you want what God will give you? Do you want the things of God? Or is there somewhere in your heart an appetite for God Himself? Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering. You know, he gives and he takes away. But still my heart will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. My hope is that you would develop an appetite, not just to, to get things from God, but that you would desire his presence, that your hearts would yearn to know the living God. And that's our purpose. And in, in the singing that we do, when we bow our heads for prayer, our hope is that we are stirring up within you an appetite for God himself. Verse 3 I find interesting. He says, Even the sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. So, this is why I think it's really the temple building. I think he was looking up into the rafters and saw a nest with maybe baby birds there. And I know, I'm sure you've done this because I know I've done it. You ever start like looking around and you see little things and you start counting how many boards there are across or, or the missing tile or, you know, I think for a while we had a balloon up, up there. Like, I know, I know what it's like. Uh, you, you sort of, like, I think he's sort of doing that. He's like looking around in the temple and he sees this nest, but he turns it, rather than a distraction, he turns it into the praise, right? He says, how great it is this bird gets to dwell in the very house of God and, and goes on to say, blessed are those, Lord, who dwell in your house, who ever get to sing your praise. How great is it to dwell in God's house? So that leads me to think, who's writing this? And so 
I don't know if we read it. There, there's what's called a superscription to the psalm. Before you get into the part about the prayer and the psalm itself, there's a superscription, which means a little thing before, that says it was written um, by the, the a psalm by the sons of Korah. What, what's that about? Well, Korah was, goes back way to the time of Moses, long before this is being written. Korah was one of the tribe of Levi. Now, you could read of Korah's story in the book of Numbers. I think it's number 16. Things did not go well for Korah, just so you know. It, it went badly for him, but somehow his descendants survive, and they are Levites, and that's the significant part. Uh, the Levites were the one out of the 12 tribes that was given to the things of the temple, the tabernacle and then the temple. In other words, they were the worship leaders of Israel. Later it talks about being a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. So the psalmist is one of these descendants of Korah who now is a servant in the temple, who works in the temple. It's quite possible he himself has quarters in the temple precinct or in the temple somewhere. Like, so like the bird, he's like, he actually sleeps somewhere within that temple area. And, and you see what he's saying? He's saying, Lord, I am so blessed. I get to be here every day. I get to live right next to your thing. I don't, I don't take the long journey because this is my place because you, you've given me the chance to ever sing your praise. So the psalm is a song, right? So he's, he's probably a singer, a worship leader for the temple precinct. So I read this and I see this is a word for me as pastor and maybe our worship leader, right? We have the incredible privilege of, of to be ever singing the praise of God, to, to, to give ourselves to the serve Him and study His Word and talk about that each week. And it's every day. Um, and, and I think it's good to, to praise God and to, to kind of remember like how, how blessed I am to have this opportunity. Sometimes people say, isn't it hard to come up with a sermon each week? And, uh, and I always say, it's oh so hard. I should be paid more. But you know, no. I delight in it. I, I, I get excited about Monday because Monday I switch to the next passage. Like I got to take this one out of my head and start working on it. So tomorrow morning at some point I will open up my Greek translation of Philippians 1 and start working on like what is this saying? I delight in the opportunity to try to take God's word and bring things out of it. So that, it's a word for me, but I, I'm convinced it's a word for all of us. Because the dwelling place of God is not just in a building. He's with us. He's in us. And so this is a word. Do you agree? How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty? Imagine, imagine Jesus makes you an offer. He's like, hey dude, you know, like I think we should spend more time together. And so, because Jesus talked like that. Uh, imagine he, he said, Let's, let's meet together every morning. You know, we'll have coffee, we'll, we'll sit and we'll talk, and we'll, we'll set up a daily appointment, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, however, you know, however much time you think it would be. And, and so you do it. You have a little room set aside, and there's two chairs, and you go in and you have this daily appointment with Jesus 
where you talk together, you talk about things going on in your life, and you, you, you know, you kind of bring up things, things you're worried about or things you're hoping for, and you have this conversation. And you start your day that way. And you find that by starting your day that way, you spend the rest of your day with a sense of peace and purpose. You have an inner contentment that lasts even when things start to go wrong in your day. Because every day something starts to go wrong, right? And, and the challenges of that day don't phase you because you started it and you have that peace that carries with you. But then one day, you end up having an early morning meeting. And so you don't have time and you rush by the door to that, that room and you, you get through, and it's understandable. Think such things happen, right? Life, life's like that. But then that keeps happening. And you keep rushing by that little room. And before you know it, it's your habit, right? You're, you're passing by that, that room, and you never have time anymore. And, and at first, it doesn't seem to matter. But then you start to notice you're becoming more harassed and anxious in your spirit. You lack that sense of peace. Your coworkers notice that you're a lot more sharp-tongued and critical and negative in how you do it. You, you find yourself getting in more conflicts and strife at work. You find that you're more prone to the temptations of this world. And you find yourself slipping on things and most of all, you have no peace, right? The anxiety rules within your heart. And then one day, as you're ready to go past that room again in a rush, you see the doors open and you peek in and, and there's Jesus sitting in the chair. I'm like, Jesus, what are you doing here? He says, well, we'd set an appointment to meet. And you realize all those days you rushed right by, he was there, ready to meet with you where your normal daily appointment. And he's kept it. That's the offer on hand. To, to, to have that time with the Lord where he will meet with you. We, we come into his presence and we know Him, and we draw near to Him. And it's not just the moment of that daily appointment, but He walks with us through our day as we do our jobs, as we manage our house, as we have kids, raise kids, go to school, interact with our neighbors. We have Him with us. He, he makes us our dwelling place. And I love John 14, 23. It, it, Jesus is talking to His disciples about what's, what's it going to be you know, after the resurrection. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, which is another way of saying he will become my disciple, right? He will start to learn to live out my, my word in his life. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, meaning he brings us into a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And then this is the best part. And we, so Father and Son together, we will come to him and make our home with him. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. His dwelling place is with us. That section ends with Selah. Selah is a Hebrew word 
that I believe just means pause and meditate. Pause and meditate on that truth. He has made us his dwelling place. Selah often also signals a switch of focus. So verses 1 to 4, I think he's speaking for himself, this, this psalmist, the son of Korah. And now the focus switches to those who are making the journey to Jerusalem. So verse 5 says, Blessed are those whose strength, in, strength is in you, whose hearts are the highway to Zion, right? who's taking the road up to Jerusalem. They've set their hearts on going on privilege, pr- pilgrimage. They've set their hearts on going to the temple, on seeking God. But it also says this. It says they, in, uh, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. So there, there is no valley of Baca at least in the, the geography of Israel, they cannot identify such a valley. In fact, this is the only place this is mentioned in Scripture. It's because Bacah is not a physical place. It's part of the pilgrimage to God. Bacah means weeping. The valley of weeping. On the way to seeking God, on the way to, to experience Him, there are times of struggle, of mourning, of weeping. Times of heartache. Times when God does not feel so close to us and we experience, do not experience the joy of the Lord. And, and the thing about the Lord is He doesn't leave us in Bacah. It's a place we go through on the way to see God. Right? There are times in our life where, where we will experience that. But we don't sit in Bacah. It says they make it a place of springs. God's living water comes to us. I, I believe God meets us in those lowest points in our life on the way to seek Him. And we can turn to Him and we can hand to Him our deepest sorrows. Maybe you've had those times where you say, God, I can't, I can't, I can't. This, and all you can say is, help me, Father. It says they go from strength to strength. He gives us enough strength to go to one more leg of the journey. Sorry. And then we need to come to him again. Psalm 30 is relevant. It says, Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And it goes on until each one appears before God in Zion. So there's the Zion of the literal Jerusalem. Zion also represents the city of God, the, the people of God. It, it has kind of an 
and a, a larger picture to it. And he, there's an eternal Zion, right? It talks in Revelation about the new Jerusalem. And I love what it says, right? And, until each appear before God in this eternal Zion, here's what Revelation 21 says that will be like. It says, I heard a voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Dag, sorry. For the former things have passed away. There's nothing better than the presence of our God. And then he, he directs his prayer. Verse 8. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. O God of Jacob. So, so the two names he gives. Lord God of hosts. Meaning God of the angel armies. In, in the NIV it says God Almighty. Right? And, and, and that Greek version that I mentioned, it says the God of power. He's directing his prayer to a God with enough power, all power, who can bring it about. And then it also says, O God of Jacob. Jacob also means Israel. It's the God of his people. It's the God watching out for, has care for his people. So God, the Almighty, God the one watching out for his people. That's to whom he directs this prayer. And again it says, Selah. Meditate on that. Verse 9 shifts gears. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. So as he lifts his prayer to God, he knows that God has given his people a representative in their midst, a shield. And so for the son of Korah, it's referring to the king. The king of, in Judah, the king in Jerusalem, would have been anointed by God to be the, the one who's to uphold justice and care for and practically take care of his people. That would be the shield. Um, he would keep justice and righteousness. He would care for those who are mistreated. And, and so there's a, a literal aspect to this prayer. But for us, we too have a representative who's watching out for us. One who has been anointed. In Greek, the anointed one is the word Christos. The Christ. Right? Christ is our shield. The representative who upholds justice and righteousness. The, the one who cares for his people. And he is our shield even from our own brokenness. 1 John 1 says... Our first John 1, chapter 2, says, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. It's another fancy way of saying he is our shield. Where we have sinned and deserve righteousness or deserve judgment, he took his our judgment upon himself. He was the shield that, that shielded us from, from the, the condemnation we deserve. He took it upon himself. 
He was our propitiation so that we can walk in his righteousness. Verse 10. And I think verse 10 is the crux. It is the conclusion. Uh, and here it, Korah is laying out that the main point for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. He's saying, if I could choose between two options, one day with God in his presence, close to him, experiencing his peace and his, his relationship within, versus a thousand days and it goes on to talk about the tents of the wicked. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than in the tents of the wicked. So you had a thousand days living it up in the world. The, you know, the best that this world has to offer. You know, which would you rather have? One day with God or a thousand elsewhere? King, king Xerxes was the, the Persian king um, in the book of Esther. And it says he had a hundred days. 80-day party. Not quite a 1,000 days, but it's up there. Can you imagine a party that lasted 180 days? It says, He showed the riches of His royal glory and the splendor and pomp of His greatness for 180 days, right? Drinking, feasting, everything you could want. Which would you rather have, one day with God or to go to Xerxes' party? Does this choice make sense to you? Do you, do you get why that one day is better? Do you think if you got all the stuff this world could, could give you, right? All the, all the things we want, right? The, the things they show on TV, the, 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 the mansions of the wealthy, the rich and wealthy, the, the, the great parties where the, the fame, the, you know, but, and you had all that, but, but your heart was empty, which, which would you choose? Um, I want to play, play a quote from you. All right, a quote. I'm going to play a, a small bit of podcast, and it is by, um, it's the Russell Moore Show. Russell Moore is a pastor, but he was interviewing Dwight Schrute. So, not his real name. If you know him, you know him. But his real name is Rain Wilson. He's a, when I was a year and a half, I lived oh. with my dad. We were okay. Start. So let me. So he he's not a Christian actually, but he's written this book about the the need for spirituality, and, and it sounds like some realization is coming to him. And I'll you know play what he's showing. But he he so he kind of tells a story, but it's his desire to to to. I'll let it play. Very poor. I had a stepmom and they were in a very unhappy marriage and you know we had a lot of good things about my childhood but we all I had a lot of trauma as well all of a sudden and after working as an actor for like 14 or 15 years all of a sudden I had a certain measure of fame so I'd gotten out of theater school I'd done a bunch of theater and then plugged away in little tv shows and movies and then all of a sudden I was getting recognized from the office and some other movies and tv shows that I did around that time and all of a sudden, people are stopping me and going, I love you. Can you imagine that? Walking down the street, people grabbing you, like literally grabbing you, looking in your eyes and going, I love you. And you're just like, and here's this love-starved little kid inside of me with all of a sudden getting this adulation. 
And it, it was fascinating because I spent many years early on in the office craving more, like it wasn't enough. And I talked recently to the other actor on the show, BJ Novak, about this. And we, we talked about the fact that our biggest regret from the office is that we just didn't enjoy it more. Like mm. after being a starving actor for decades, and then all of a sudden having a show that was winning awards, I was making a lot of money. They were wonderful, beautiful people that I was acting with and people really adored the show. Like, let that be enough. But instead I was like, but I want movies. I want to be, how come I'm not a movie star? Like Will Ferrell and Jack Black and, and Seth Rogen, like, and I've got to line this up and I've got to get this deal at the studio. And why didn't they buy my script? And then why didn't they take my pitch? And I want a first look deal at Warner Brothers. And so it's, it's never enough, you know, and that is one of the great spiritual conundrums, isn't it? That we have enough and yet it's never enough. It's like the Buddha we have enough, and yet it's never enough. Better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house, than a thousand elsewhere. Going further in the, the passage, it says, No good thing does he, does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. I think this is really connecting to what Jesus said in Matthew 6. And he's talking about how all the things of this world we need. You know, you need food, you need clothing. But Jesus said, do this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek that first. And all these other things, they will be added to you. Right? Seek first that what you need the most. And God will work to, to give you the, the things you need. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Right? The things you need for that day, God knows them. So seek after his kingdom. Make the decision that one day with the Lord is better than all the things this world can offer. And that I can trust my heavenly Father with what I need. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk in integrity. Decide, I will not trade my integrity for some measly offering of this world. Because we are ever tempted to do just that. To gain some little bit of gain and give up that righteousness of walking in righteousness with him. And then it comes, blessed is the one who trusts in him who trusts in the Lord of power, the Lord Almighty. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord is so favor and honor. Who is better equipped to manage your life? You or the Lord Almighty? Yes. Good answer, right? You know, you know God says I should go down this road. But you think in your heart, no, I think he has it all wrong. No, I think, I, no, I think this road is actually much better, right? And, and so you, you know, who's better at figuring out which road is going to get you to, to what you need, to what your heart's desiring, to what will bring you an inner peace and joy? And, and then how are you going to know which road you should go down 
if you're always rushing past that door. If you're never giving him time to direct and lead you. This day, this week, this summer, seek the Lord while he may be found. I'm going to give you a challenge today to set your heart on pilgrimage. And that, by that I mean, seek a closer relationship with the Lord Almighty. Use the time you have. You have summer days I know are different than, than the days of, of the year, right? Find ways to, you know, figure out what you need. Maybe get a spiritual book, right? I, I can recommend some if you, if you need them of all different types, Maybe you set a, a, a devotional plan. Let me give you part of that. Here's a specific challenge. Read Psalm 84 each day this week. Right? Start with that. In fact, every week of the summer, what if you did this? Every week of the summer, pick a different psalm. And do, it, do the same psalm for one whole week. I think you, you see it differently when you start to read the psalm and it starts to echo in your mind because you could breeze through it. Read the same psalm for one week and then switch. And you could pick your own or again, maybe I'll, in the newsletter I'll put out some potential other ones. Psalm 40, Psalm 95. Uh, we look today at our, our one class, Psalm 91. But seek the Lord. Set your heart to have a closer walk with the Lord this summer. Father, I, I pray that we can know you and know your peace and know you more closely. I know, Lord, it's so easy to rush past the door, to miss that time with you that we desperately need. I know it's so easy to, to let the, the struggles and challenges of this life knock you out of our mind. But I pray instead that we would remember and know that you are in our midst, that you've made your dwelling place within us, and that you will speak into our hearts, that you will sustain us through the dry times and the, 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 the rocky roads. Lord, give us that sense. May we know, may we see, may we see something amazing this week that we would know you are walking in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.